welcome to Source of Uncertainty, a Buchla podcast for you. I'm Kyle Swisher. And I'm Robert Standifer. And yeah, we've got a great show for you today. Um, let's get into it. Uh, Robert and I were just chatting before this. Uh, you know, we're in the middle of summer. That COVID heat is going on. And uh, it's kind of been a light month, Buchla wise. Yeah. I think I used the term dog days of summer. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but I always hear it. I'm like, yeah, dog days. <laughs> yeah, dog days. I love my dog. I want to spend all summer with my dog. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was like that. Yeah. It's like, do we have like visitation days? Like just during the summer, like specifically in the summer with them? I don't. Yeah. I don't know. And are there cats days? Are there horse days of winter? Of, I don't know. A fall or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> horse days of fall so yeah so what's going on you know with the dog days of summer and, and covid lockdown here in the united states and uh yeah i mean not a whole lot right <laughs> but but you know the, a couple of months ago on the barry schrader episode which was one of my favorites we did the yeah. um the patch the, the single patch the the, uh, mm-hmm. the base patch, the base patch yeah i don't want to say master patch because we shouldn't say that anymore but the base patch and i use the control the signal router in that and then the delayed next the next month which was last month we had doug clotter on the episode and we talked about the control and signal router which i is think we such, might have had more in between there but you know it's all it's a yeah, su- the, soup look like, kyle it's the dog days of summer everything yeah. runs together so Mort was Mort was in the middle, but and um, how could I have forgotten him? But we didn't talk about the control and signal router. But anyway, so in those two episodes, we talked about the CSR, and guess what? Todd Barton has released. Take a, take, take, I've got take some drink. vodka. Hold on, let me get my let me get my vodka here. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, okay, that's a goblet so, of. Uh, it's a chalice, Kyle. A chalice a ch- of vodka. Yes, it's a diamond encrusted. Look, I spent all of my source of uncertainty money on diamonds for my chalice. Okay, <laughs> you do what you want to do, whatever. But I'm chalice diamonds. So gotcha. Todd has <laughs> Todd has posted a <laughs> YouTube videos about the control and signal router, and they're really good. Um, so check those out because. That's such a neat module, and it's hard to talk about it, you know, and yeah. and kind of deal with it, the concept of it really abstractly. But Doug talked about it last month and how he did the, you know, the sourcing, the LEDs and all of that. So check out Todd's videos. Um, I think I'm drunk now from saying Todd so many times. But. <laughs> and maybe you are too. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, and another cool thing... Um, I don't know if everybody's been listening to the um, the Artist Spotlight uh, episodes, which I hope you are. Um, I'm enjoying getting them out there and basically getting a chunk of buka music from somebody every month. That's been they're, they're really good. I have to say, good fun. job on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no problem. I'm not. I just you know, I I put the call out and people are answering. So so yeah, if you do actually want to be featured on the show uh reach out through the website sourceofuncertainty.audio but um so yeah in the middle of this month um we had the galaxy electric on there and we're rolling right into this month or this episode um and having them as our guest so um so yeah we kind of talk about how um 
uh, Jacqueline and Augustus met and, you know, melded their music together. And uh, fast forward to this new Kickstarter they've got going on, which is uh, to put out their new album on reel to reel tape. Yeah, reel to reel. And so Augustus and I talked about reel to reel tapes on Facebook for like an hour after that episode wrapped <laughs> to that talk. Yeah. Yeah, it was that was such a fun conversation too. And I wish every time we talk to folks on the show, I wish we could talk for many, many more hours because, you know, the, it just keeps going and there's so much cool stuff to talk about and they were such a delight and I love their music. Yeah. Yeah. So, really great. So yeah, but before we talk to them, um, kind of with the 208C coming out, and um, a lot of people are excited about that, and those are people are finally getting those and, and playing with them. I decided to kind of, I mean, I've had my 208 or the Easel um, for I think going on over, I think it's over three years or something at this point. Um, yeah. So I had it for a bit of time, and I've learned a few things, you know, probably a lot from Todd, most from Todd, but <laughs> I'm just yeah. trying to get I'm trying to get more shots uh, right now. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I kind of did a string of um, just kind of patches or tricks and stuff that I found over the years of um, of uh, yeah playing with my easel. So um, so yeah, those are coming up next. You know, I I thought you should have sampled me talking and played them in your easel segment. I yeah, I thought about <laughs> you know kind of going into the whole because um, I think I think for probably a lot like the balanced modulation section by you know bringing in uh, another audio source um, into the auxiliary input like is probably underutilized. And so yeah, I could have just ran you through. Um, <laughs> You know, through that, and you would have sounded like your um, like gold leader standing by in uh, Star Wars or something. <laughs> yeah, then th isn't it funny how they have the worst communications systems in <laughs> Star Wars? I mean, they're flying spaceships, but when they're <laughs> come yeah. on, guys, it's sort of how banks have really crummy cameras on a vault <laughs> with like twenty trillion dollars inside of it. Yeah, it's like, don't you have all the money? Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why don't you spend some of that? Come on. What are you holding on to all that money for? That's how banks work, right? That is that is how banks work, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. I guess uh yeah, let's let's get into it. Okay, so this first tip uh actually comes from Todd Barton. Take a drink. Um and I think he put this up on his YouTube page probably about two years ago or so. And this was actually a, a patch idea that he got from one of his students. Um, it's really simple. I hadn't thought of it and he was really excited about it in his video because he hadn't thought of it either um, because it's just so simple, but pretty effective. So, um, so the pulser, uh, if you may or may not know, is just a, uh, a down ramp, kind of like a, I believe that's a reverse uh, sawtooth. Um, so the voltage just starts high and it drops um, at a rate depending on what you have the rate at. And then it just pops back up again. And, and that's if you have it in um, kind of self-cycling mode or you could trigger it with the sequencer or the keyboard. Um, so yeah, what the cool thing is, is if you uh, patch the pulsar output back into the input, um, 
kind of like in uh, patching like with uh, Surge um, or from what I gather because I haven't done it, um, but kind of giving um, basically an, an exponential curve to your uh, to your pulsar. So um, this is what it sounds like without it. And it's just self-cycling, so I'm going to add it, and I'm going to turn up the, um, the CV input, and it's going to speed up, but I'll kind of back off the rate to kind of match that. And if you're watching on video, I have a little janky uh, oscilloscope. I'm doing my best uh, div kit impression right now. Um, but yeah, you'll, you'll kind of see that it curves down instead of just a straight ramp down um so it's kind of nice about that um i think what's so great about like the envelope on the easel is you can get it to be such a short kind of pluck where um you know if you've got the um the pulser it just kind of yeah the long sustain is maybe not what you always want if you're using it for like the low pass gate um you know depending on how you want your buka bongos uh, to sound so it's kind of nice having this like more delicate um, uh, pluck, I guess. Uh, it does kind of it brings down the um, the overall voltage depending on how how high you have it turned up. Like I'm going to turn it up all the way, and that's yeah, I think it basically cuts it maybe two thirds down. And there's, um, but but yeah, it's kind of nice to have a little bit of more control over that. Um, so yeah, you don't have to do it in self-cycling. What's kind of cool too is, um, you know, if you have it in keyboard mode, um, you can use that. Oh, sorry. There we go. So you can have like, uh, you know, attack, sustain, and you're going to be able to adjust your release a bit. So, and so this is without it. So we've got a long release, but if you want to shut, uh, cut down that release you can I mean you can do that with your um, with the regular offset anyways but if you just want a little bit of a tail um, yeah you kind of have a little more control over that what is also cool that you can do is you could put this into uh, so you can run the pulser into the inverter and then put the inverter back into the pulser, and I'll self-cycle that again. And now we have a more logarithmic um, uh, effect to it. So this is just regular. I don't have it um, the CV turned up at all, but I'll start turning that up. It's harder to tell um, compared to the other one, but yeah, it does. The tail of it is more rounded, and it kind of works the other way around. So if I turn up uh, the CV amount, um, the voltage stays kind of higher. It doesn't get as quiet as where the opposite, the voltage overall kind of dropped. Um, yeah, then you can do um, that with your keyboard as well. You can kind of have <laughs> these weird, like it'll sustain for just a little bit and then a steep drop off. Um, so yeah, if you want to kind of get more out of your pulser, that's one way to do it. 
Okay, so in this patch, uh, I'm going to show off a technique and a tip that will come later. Um, so yeah, right now I'm going to talk about, uh, I guess as I refer to it as envelope masking, um, to where I'm basically using the envelope um, and the sequencer together. So the the sequential vulture source is going to um, each one of its steps. I can program it to trigger the envelope. And um, basically, I, I also, also have the uh, pitches of the sequence going into the complex oscillator. And it's setting up the envelope in a way that you're only maybe going to hear some of the notes. And then as you uh, augment that envelope, more notes will kind of uh, appear. So you're kind of unmasking this uh, sequence. So right now I just have the first step um, switched up. And so that's going to trigger the envelope. I'll turn that up. And it's just a really short um, decay envelope. And if I were to then um, bring the uh, attack up a bit and the decay a little bit, you're then hearing a little bit of the second note afterwards. If you're gonna, I turned up the decay a bit more and so you're able to hear that third note. Um, and if I were to do more, kind of getting that whole envelope you're getting all four notes in there um, but you can switch maybe which um, uh, which switch is triggering the envelope so I've got switch number three up and seven number one and you're getting different so I can kind of I've shortened the envelope and so it's changed up what notes we're hearing um, giving it a, a different feel. Um, okay, so then this next, uh, so yeah, I, I guess this is kind of comes to the tip uh, portion of this patch is um, the output of the uh, inverter. If you don't have anything plugged into the input of it, the output is just um, on full blast. It's just full voltage. Um, depending on what your easel, I'm not sure what kind of voltage is putting out um, on the uh, 28C or the command, um, but it's about 13 volts, I believe. Um, so it's really high. And basically whatever you plug into the input, it's mirroring that. So it's, um, that's, uh, you know, it's dropping down that output voltage from whatever input voltage you put in there. But if you put nothing in there, it's just this high voltage. So you could then, um, you could then add or put that into other uh, control voltage inputs, uh, kind of, you know, setting up as maybe like a um, kind of like a preset source. So if you don't have the 218, um, you know, like, and if you're kind of maybe making a lengthier patch that maybe you want to switch up the rhythm of the pulser. Um, so like right now we have this tempo going. Um, I could just use the output of the inverter, um, you know, as I'm playing along with this song, I'll bring back the other. If I want to turn or kind of um, ramp up the speed of this, I could then have it preset, like set up my uh, CV input, uh, input slider up, kind of like 
double that speed. taking out the jack and we're back to that point so um so yeah if you don't like i say if you don't have like um the you could do this with the preset voltage source on the 218 um or if you're using that for something else and you just don't have the inverter used for something you can do that you could also um you know if you want to change like you want to jump octaves or something on one of the oscillators um on this low oscillator about yeah you could do this kind of masking thing also with this um i'll kind of go into the rhythms further bring this down um but yeah kind of really playing with the um uh the switches to get different rhythms uh with the envelope that's um so there's like uh switches one two and three up this is just switches one and three you can switch that Have fun with switching the amount of stages, um, what uh, stage switches are flipped up. You know, keep a short envelope where you can invert it and kind of have a, um, a slower attack. Get different feels. Um, but yeah, kind of endless fun with that stuff. Okay, so right now we're going to talk about the random on the 208. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Charles C. Holzer, who uh, works at Buchla USA now, um, he once told me, and I wish I remember the exact number, but I think it was 127. So there are 127 steps um, that comes out of each of the uh, four random outputs, stepped random outputs on the easel um but they're not every output is um has different steps and basically they're kind of not all created equal in a way they have their own flavor to them uh, if you've looked at the source of uncertainty 266 you know there's um in a couple of the sections like the quantized random voltage and in the stored random voltage um you can affect kind of how the distribution is weighted differently. Like on the uh, a stored random voltage, you can turn the knob to the left, and that means kind of all the voltage is going to be um, uh, in the lower end. It's not going to kind of um, you know go from zero volts to ten volts. It's going to go zero to one to three to six to four, and then you can kind of move it up into the middle and it'll be more of the middle range, um, and then up to high. So, um, so yeah, and actually within the, the 208's randoms, you kind of get a sense of, um, 
of the differences between them. So uh, I'm going to turn this up, and this is going to go to pitch, um, so you can kind of hear the actual uh, difference between the voltages. And so this is going to be on the far right uh, random output that's underneath the low pass gate. And I have it going at a really fast pace, so it's going to get through that 127 steps um, in a fairly short amount of time, so you can kind of hear its cycle. So, to my ears, to this one, um, it kind of covers a fair amount of range. Like, it'll stay down low for a little bit. And kind of, it'll step its way up, kind of building a mountain in a way. If I'm like looking at the oscilloscope that's going on right now, um, it doesn't just go like high, low, high, low, high, low. Um, it kind of fluctuates up and bounces around and will bounce its way down. So moving to the uh, the next random voltage that's um, underneath the complex oscillator. So this has a lot of high-low. Listen to that. It's just, yeah, we'll kind of... It doesn't have as much uh, <laughs> mountain building as I would refer to it. It's just kind of lots of high-low. Um, now we'll go to the one under um, the modulation oscillator. Uh, so this is the most distinct one that I found. Um, it's all weighted really high. So, you know, this could be good for if you want to add some random. I mean, what's cool about the easel is everything has uh, attenuators on it, so you can add just a little bit. But if you want random, but you just kind of you want very small fluctuations, uh, this would be a good one. Where the other one, if you want very wide, like I want there to be no voltage and then a lot of voltage, you'd go for the one that's underneath the complex oscillator. And now we're on the last one, the one all the way to the left that's underneath the envelope generator. And this one reminds me a lot of um, the first one. It maybe has a little bit more, um, it still kind of fluctuates up and down, but it is kind of going high-low within those fluctuations, where maybe um, the first output has like three steps up, and then three steps down, and then a big step down, and then um, where this is kind of, yeah, it's high-lows are, are more drastic. So, yeah. Um, kind of good to know what you're getting instead of, you know, just picking a random output, um, which is good. But, you know, with the shorting bars um, in, in using it with the 208, you kind of get set on like, oh, I'm going to put random into the uh, modulation section on the, com on the uh, modulation oscillator. Well, we just saw that has a lot of, um, you know, it just hovers in one kind of small zone and, and does... Um, very little jumping and that and you might want more drastic on off kind of random going into the uh, modulation section for that um, you know same with 
timbre, if maybe you don't want that kind of low high, low high stuff, you just want little fluctuations, you might pull um, the random from the um, modulation oscillator, put it in the complex one, and then you kind of have, um, you know, working with a more narrow band of random. And then you have the ones at the sides that um, are pretty kind of equal overall. So, uh, yeah, I, I find this uh, very helpful. All right. So I have something to confess. Um, I am in love with amplitude modulation, uh, especially on the music easel. So, um, you know, when you're in love, you don't want to part with, uh, with amplitude modulation yet. There's, you know, the very, uh, fun, uh, uh, FM right below it. But, uh, what the what solution I found for this is the, um, the sneaky little, uh, mod CV out in the top right hand corner. Uh, in the mixer section. Uh, that takes the modulation oscillator's signal and puts it in banana jack form, so then you can use it elsewhere in the system. So, um, actually, first, let's just hear some AM. So I'll turn up the complex oscillator, sorry, complex <laughs> oscillator. Um, it's just a square right now, and uh, the modulation oscillator is in the square as well, so I'll bring up So, um, so yeah, what we can do is take that modulation uh, CV out, Banana Jack, and we can uh, get basically uh, frequency modulation by putting it into the pitch input of the complex oscillator. So we will bring that up, just clean, and now we've got a form of uh, FM. Then bring that AM back in as well to get a double modulator. Uh, what's cool is there's the polarity switch on the complex oscillator. Um, so that's in the positive right now. We could flip it over to the negative and um, have the CV kind of push the, the pitch down. So let's try that out. sounding pretty great um, but we don't have to stop there uh, like on the the 259 um, programmable complex waveform generator um, there is in the 
the modulation index section that's in the middle of the, the dual oscillator, um, you have a bunch of switches that you can then turn on the amplitude modulation, the pitch modulation, um, but it also has a timbre modulation. So it's just routing the combo, uh, uh, modulation oscillator to those settings. So we've got a timbre circuit here. So we could take the complex oscillator, turn down the square wave section, and just bring it all the way down to a sign. So then we can use the timbre section. Um, and then we can piggyback off that same modulation oscillator CV out and um, put it in there. Actually, let's, uh, let's start out by just giving you um, just the timbre by itself. So this is just a regular timbre sweep. So that's just the offset I'm turning up and down. And now I'll turn up the, um, the CV input with the modulation oscillator in there. So yeah, a bit more movement. And then you know, if I change notes, um, we're going to get different types of movement there too. I don't know if I really mentioned, I, I have um, the 218, uh, the keyboard going to both of the oscillators, and they're kind of tuned relative to each other, so you're getting somewhat harmonic uh, outputs. So yeah, we've got that going to timbre, we can then go to go back to pitch. So yeah, all that to say, uh, don't sleep on the modulation CV out. So we're going to talk about a CV feedback patch that I have uh, going on here. Uh, it involves the three main sections, uh, CV sections of the 208, the sequential voltage source, the envelope generator, and the pulser. Um, and everything is kind of interconnected. Um, so to start off with the uh, pulser, we have that set to self-cycling mode. And so that is um, then triggering the sequential voltage source. And then the envelope generator is uh, reading the sequential voltage source switches to fire off its envelopes. Um, but uh, what I have patched on the um, uh, below in the patch bay is the envelope is going to go into the input of the pulser. So the shape of the envelope is going to then speed up the pulser, which will then speed up the sequential voltage source uh, going through its sequences, and depending on what switches I have up, will then go back and trigger the envelope. So it all kind of mingles and um, works together or against one another, as we'll find out. So, um, so I have uh, the envelope going to the low pass gate one and the pulser going to low pass gate two. Um, you kind of are able to to get a lot of different types of um, 
of rhythms out of this is kind of the main the main point of it so just to bring up the pulser uh, so I have no switches switched up on the sequential voltage source so there's no envelope um, taking place so but I am going to do that I basically just have a, a one second decay envelope set up and I've got a little bit of influence going into the um, from the envelope going into the pulser so I'll flip up uh, stage one So, yeah, every stage, every first stage, which I'll bring up um, the envelope on the low pass gate one. So you see every envelope, it's pushing forward that uh, pulser to fire at a faster rate. And you get that, um, I don't know, maybe is that like a, a triplet <laughs> rhythm. Um, and so we can see if I extend the voltage, like the decay on this uh envelope it gets a bit faster but if I make it shorter you don't have all those hits anymore what I could do is flip up another switch on the sequential voltage source so I'll flip up uh, number three so that's a pretty kind of standard rhythm I also just to mention I have it set to four stages right now um, what I could do is up the influence onto the pulser and see what happens. So it's speeding up. I can take out a switch. I can try three switches. That's pretty full on. Maybe I shorten the envelope. So I've got three switch, uh, one, two, and three switches on the sequential voltage source. Same pretty short uh, decay envelope and more influence going into the sequencer. I'm going to put the um, the sequencer uh, pitch into the um, into the complex oscillator, so we just get a little bit of variation there. Uh, so let's try a different type of shape of envelope. Let me bring down the switches a bit. So I'm going to have uh, more of an even attack decay envelope um, so that's kind of ramping through so yeah I've, I've brought the uh, the attack and decay down quite a bit so it's it's like too much influence on this I can try and bring down on the pulser um, but I can also kind of change the relationship so I can the pulser is at like a 0.2 um, rate I can bring that way down and I can turn up the influence quite a bit more and let's see we're about to get back to our first switch to see what happens back the influence a bit so with this kind of setup yeah we can kind of tell it's we're kind of getting 
these random smatterings. I'll maybe push up the rate of the pulser a bit. Now we're back into that mode. So let's let's try maybe bringing it down to three stages. I'm going to do uh, a slower attack, and maybe I'll bring up two switches right now. So I have uh, switch one and switch three triggering the envelope. Um, still a pretty slow um, pulser, so I'm going to push that up a bit, see what happens. I'm going to bring back the influence a bit, so they're kind of more even. got a very short just a decay envelope it's on switches one and three I can do all three that's a pretty you know standard rhythm so maybe I'll bring so that's just one there's one two I can up the influence see what happens maybe open up the envelope a bit we can hear it speeding up kind of slurry of uh, of envelopes. Maybe I can switch it back to four. Maybe I'll, I'll go into five steps. And so I've got steps one, two, and four triggering that envelope. I'm going to bring up the just the offset of the So yeah, a lot of minor tweaks between the shape of the envelope, the, uh, the offset speed of the pulser, and the input you can just kind of take it into different territories really quickly. You know, play around on the keyboard. We can try and um, you know maybe have the uh, pulser influence the timbre.
so yeah fun stuff um i spent a weekend a couple months ago just on this patch and um yeah, i don't know i probably got about 30 minutes of of a uh, fun exploration out of that and some good tunes so um yeah try that out So on the show today, we have the Galaxy Electric. Can you two uh, introduce yourselves and so we get the uh, the voice to the name? I'm Jacqueline. And I'm Augustus. Thanks for coming on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So I guess before we get into like the bukla of it all, let's, uh, let's hear about you guys and your story. Um, how did you two meet and how was the galaxy electric formed? Who should take this? Uh, I'd say go for it. Go for it. Okay. We met, we were actually set up. Um, mm. We didn't know it, but we had a mutual friend who knew both of us and was certain that we were destined. Destined. <laughs> <laughs> so she threw a party, she threw a house party and invited both of us. And I guess the whole premise of the party was so that we would meet. Wow. Yeah. I do. What a good I friend. It very That's a really good friend. <laughs> yeah. She was right. It's so weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we met at that party and we started talking and we really didn't stop until this moment right now. We're still, we're still here chatting away about music and things. We recently stopped talking. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was really, that was really it. It was just this, this setup that we, we didn't know each other from any other circles or anything. Um, mm. But we did, it did turn out that we were both doing like solo music. It, it, we were in the DC area and the open mic scene was very hot at that time. Okay. Very uh, strong community. And we were both doing that, but hadn't crossed paths yet until this, this setup. <laughs> what, what was your, each of your music kind of like at that point in time? Oh, that's, why did I bring that up? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was coming out of um, a very uh, sort of Christian bubble okay. that I grew up in, in a very small town where that was kind of all I knew and all I was supposed to be doing was worship music. Mm -hmm. And I somehow made my way to a private college in DC mm -hmm. and I got the whole world just opened up to me mm -hmm. and I started writing. Well, I'd always played piano and sang. So I was classically trained uh, on both instruments and was just, you know, just had the yearning to make my own music mm. and got, um, yeah, this, this mutual friend who set us up, um, kind of exposed me to songwriting. She was like a folk singer and started helping me songwrite. So I started writing songs on piano and voice and little pop songs mm -hmm. and playing them at open mics. And that was kind of my springboard into, you know, doing my own thing. Yeah. And I guess. And 
I didn't really get like I I played bass when I was in high school and you know in some bands and stuff some blues bands and cover bands um, because my dad played and so we had an electric bass in the house it was like the family instrument like a relic yeah <laughs> and so I what was actually, it it was a really nice actually Fender jazz bass uh, I think seventy two oh. or something like that it weighs like seven hundred pounds <laughs> yeah it's, it's one of the really nice you know heavy full bodied ones mm-hmm. um, but uh, so you know played bass and then um, it wasn't until like. Around 2001, I got into electronic music, started reading uh, Future Music Magazine out of the UK. It was very expensive, but it came with sample libraries. So I started collecting those and um, kind of DJing and like getting into, you know, more like EDM stuff. Um, And I got a, it was, it was right at the transition when, uh, you know, electronic music studios were starting to go from hardware to software, but I got in on the hardware side. I got a um, Axis Virus B and a, a Kai S3000 XL um, and a Mac. And I started, you know, making electronic music with that setup using MIDI. Um, oh, wow. And so uh, from there, I, I I started making like weird pop music with it, <laughs> like singing in the whole, whole nine. But, um, you know, from there, I kind of like, you know, just always kept that as, you know, my favorite uh, outlet for making music, like synthesizers and, and drum machines and samples and things like that. And um, when I met Jacqueline, um, you hadn't really met anybody else who had a studio like that, had you? No. Mm-mm. Yeah. So I, I was like, hey, you know, do you want to mess around with some of this stuff (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um and then bukla but (laughs) (laughs) so so pretty quickly like it was like let's just do it like we're a band now let's let's do this or no not really it it took quite a bit of convincing i was um very stubborn about the fact that i was trying to figure out how to do this songwriting thing Mm. And I was on my own and I was going to do my own thing. And his world was his world and mine was mine. And we shouldn't mix the two. Mm-hmm. But that was the wisest way to go. But of course, you know, it didn't take long before he was like, well, let me add some of this onto that song you're working on. And, you know, I was like, well, let me sing a little something on that that you're doing. And, um, you know, we both just wanted to be making music all the time and be in the studio. So, because we were spending all our time together. <laughs> yeah. That's what we were doing. And it just started to meld. And then, you know, we had gone too far down that path <laughs> to undo it. So we started uh, writing songs together by kind of just, just accident. We weren't really intending to be like, okay, we have a project now. Let's do this. It was just, you know, what we, what we are and what we do and what we did together. And I guess some people go on hikes we would write songs <laughs> <laughs> That's so that, amazing. yeah and it took quite a few years before we were like able to figure out something together like finding a sound together was a whole process it took many years hmm. Lots yeah, of it's still evolving <laughs> yeah. so Bukla would be pretty distant from what you were doing Jacqueline then 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, um, yeah, it's been a lot of education for me. I think, um, because I hadn't been exposed to much of anything outside of traditional, like classical music, my curiosity was ravenous Mm -hmm. and, um, and you know, he was so, um, enthusiastic and engaged in what he was doing with electronic music that it was infectious. Mm-hmm. So I just sort of soaked it up from, you know, watching him. I would say just at first, just in like pro tool sessions mm-hmm. <laughs> after a while, I was like, I got to get my hands in there. I want to be doing this. And, um, you know, just over time as our interest evolved together, we found our way to modular mm-hmm. and to the Buchla world. So when was that kind of early modular stuff that then, like what, did you kind of um, know well, the era? My the first era? exposure to it um, was around 2010. Wow, pretty um, early. Yeah, yeah, I would say it was like maybe second wave of like, maybe, you know, the earliest waves. <laughs> I don't know what wave we're on now, but um, it felt like second wave. It didn't feel like first wave. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think we're on wave four. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) That sounds good. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I got in through, um, you know, living in the Los Angeles area. Um, I think I started buying guitar pedals at places like big city music and, um, analog Haven and they had modular stuff. And so I, was like, Hey, this looks interesting. And they seem to be kind of focused on it. Like, you know, let's check this out. And, you know, from there got to Muff Wiggler and, you know, it, it, everybody understands the, that's into modular understands that there's quite a progression, uh, that happens. Um, and it usually happens rather quickly. Um, so that happened and, you know, I got a, I got a little case. Um, it was like a six, uh, U, um, case, I think, or wait, two rows of maybe like 84 HP. I don't even know what that, I, it's been a while since <laughs> I've even paid attention to Euro rack stuff. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what that translates. It would be, a <laughs> it'd be an eight U case in, in <laughs> um, but, uh, from there, you know, it, it, I went to Nam actually that in 2012, and at the NAM, uh, the I went to the Bukla booth, and all of the stuff didn't make sense to me. And so that was the intrigue. Um, the fact that um, you know I, I was looking at what it, what appeared to be synthesizers, but they seemed to be from a parallel universe. Um, you know, they seemed to come from another planet or something because I didn't understand, you know, a lot of the controls and a lot of the things that were happening There were banana plugs and, you know, all this stuff. And it, it didn't make sense to me. And so I was like, I'm really into this, you know, like, and, and Don was there in the crazy hat and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know so I, I, I remember just that made a really big impression on me. And then it wasn't shortly it wasn't much later that I saw the uh, Charles Cohen at the Buchla Music Easel um, video by Alex Tyson. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of put me over the edge in terms of wanting to get into Buchla. And then, you know, it just seemed very serendipitous. The the Music Easel was announced. And so I actually got on the uh, pre-order list very early. 
um, like, you know, pretty much as soon as they announced it and, mm. uh, you know, it was like sending emails, like probably annoying, you know, the, the, the people at Bukla, uh, about like how excited I was about it and asking all these questions about the case and like asking for updates and, you know, uh, just was super, super excited. And, um, the, the Bukla flame hasn't really dimmed much in, you know, in the last eight years. That's cool that you jumped right on it and got one of those early BEMI easels. Um, did, so when you first like arrived, like had you kind of soaked up all you could off of YouTube or whatever was out there all the time to kind of have an idea of how to, how to attack it? Yeah, there wasn't much. I mean, you know, especially pre people getting their easels, you know, I remember there yeah. was all this anticipation, you know, the muff wiggler, especially like the Bukla thread was really, um, there was just this one thread where everybody was anticipating it and like, you know, just posting pretty often about things they heard about the production and, um, kind of how it was recently with the 208C, <laughs> um, yeah. but you know, it was a little more like, you know, nobody knew anything. Um, but, um, from there, I, I just remember there wasn't much out there. There was like a couple videos of like people playing originals, mm -hmm. um, original 208s, um, that were usually Frankenstein and all these weird cases and stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and that was really all you had to go off of. There was like, you know, random people like who had maybe repaired one, you know, with some oscilloscope shots. Um, but I remember there wasn't much. I kind of was like, I don't know what I'm getting into. Like, <laughs> you know, I hope I like this. <laughs> yeah. But it just seemed really appealing. Appealing. There was, there was something that, you know, clicked with me, at least, you know, visually in the sound. You know, I just remember the sound, especially from that Charles Cohen video. I was like, I really, this sounds really unique. You mm -hmm. know, I picked up on the, the wave shaping and uh, wave folding timbre stuff like, you know, right away is like something I hadn't really heard before. Mm -hmm. And I remember that, that time, like, I think you were, you were at NAMM and you were texting me cause I wasn't there. You're like, we gotta get this. this <laughs> I found it. You were so, so excited. And then we played that Charles Cohen video for everyone we knew. We did. And, yeah. and people were just like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. this? I know. It was like, like this is the future. Yeah. We were really excited. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is the past. That's going to be our future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow is very yesterday. That's pretty much it. <laughs> there there so we go. When you heard the, so you mentioned the wave folder, which <clears throat> is sort of like, that's like ESOL. That's the thing that stands out on the easel because no matter what you're listening to on it, you hear that that sound, you know, that timbre change. So when you were when you heard it, how did you think about how it was going to impact the music that you were making and the music you wanted to make? Um, I just remember thinking that it had a similar impact, um, like when I first heard like a big low pass filter sweep with resonance, mm -hmm. you know, and like dance music, um, you know, it was like, wow, that is, you know, sort of like a new 
filter sweep. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I just, I just remember thinking like, I'm going to exploit this. This is never going to get old. Like I'm, I, I just want to do whatever that, you know, whatever's going, whatever process is going on there. Like I want, I want to do that to the sound, you know, very, very often. <laughs> I think it took a while before we were able to make sense of it with the music we were making. And mm -hmm. then it started to determine where the music was going and, you know, became the source. At first it was sort of like pasting it on top of what we were already doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it was like, oh no, no, we need to let this take the lead. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Like I remember we happened to be working on an album around the time that I got the easel. Like, it, you know, it was a long wait and everything, but I finally got it. And so I instantly wanted to implement it mm -hmm. into what we were doing. And it did sort of feel like. Yeah. Cause we were already like, well, you know, into that recording process for that album. And it was, you know, pretty much done, but we were like, no, we have to get this in here somehow. <laughs> and then it, Was we, that everything is light and sound? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And the track, the, the first track that we used it on was uh, Calm Down. And I was just like, I'm just going to make bleeps and bloops in between, <laughs> you know, any like break, you know, to like make it stand out. You know, I just want to insert this yeah. into what we're doing, you know, and have it be... Um, yeah, it sort of gave us, we had to like take some time and be like, how can we now, you know, craft this as part of what we're already doing? Because it, it was, it really was like this lightning rod for us. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it did, it sort of carries a voice through the album that it didn't have, which makes me now think, what would it be without? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, listening to that album, um, I mean, it has, you know, a lot of kind of traditional instrumentation, um, you know, drums and bass are very present throughout. And um, and then, yeah, I think it's that track that you mentioned that, that really kind of comes into prominence. You're like, oh, there it is. Like, I'm so into the groove of the album. Like, anyways, I kind of forget, like, I'm not listening, like, searching for the bukla. But, but yeah, then you do make it a bit prominent in, in some places. Um, so, okay. So were you guys playing drums on that, that first album too, or, or how was that album kind of constructed? I know it was like five years ago or something that. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, <clears throat> it was a lot of us working alone, demoing the tracks, um, writing, recording multiple millions of demos and, <laughs> and then realizing like, okay, we have to you know, add this other instrumentation. So we, um, we got some other players together mm. and had some recording sessions. Um, and this was back in LA. So no, that's not us on it. There are other mm. players on it. Um, uh, drums and vibraphone. And okay. I don't think there's anything else that we didn't do. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Just those two. Um, yeah, it's such a, a different mindset than we have now. It's kind of hard to remember what we were thinking, what we were doing, but we were trying to make a record that 
sounded like it could have been made in the 60s as one of these sort of like you find it when you're crate digging now Mm -hmm. but it's from that time and you're like what is this weirdness that you know nobody knew about like maybe there was like one pressing ton in like Mm -hmm. 1966 or something yeah i mean the concept was kind of inspired in a way by a lot of the music that we were listening to at the time um specifically there's this uh project um is released through a label called folklore tapes and it it's like a radio lore ep series um, <laughs> that you come to find later that it's by the members of the band clinic but oh the narrative they even had like a fake website and everything about this like storyline about this guy who was c- collecting these um tapes you know of, of had like a pirate radio he had show. like a pirate radio show in the 60s and it all sounds so real and then <laughs> you you know the story is that you know the tapes were discovered in, in the guy's attic or something and yeah so all the songs are by a different artist that isn't real yeah they but. all have band names and it's like compilation eps but okay they're actually the band clinic <laughs> That's awesome. there's really nowhere where they admit that so i might even be are we outing them <laughs> right <laughs> like it, it it's just you know there's elements where you're like wow that really sounds like them you know but it says that it's these other artists and so i think that was definitely a big mm-hmm. inspiration for you know like we were hoping like you know maybe this could be one of those you know tapes that was discovered in somebody's attic and you think that it's from this other time, but it's actually, you know, it was made in 2014. <laughs> yeah. I have a, a record. Um, it's it's a French cocktail music record from the late, like 1969. And it's got the um, French singers, uh, female singers that kind of are aping like Astrid Gilberto, but in French instead of in Portuguese or English. And on one of the tracks, it... Um, I can't tell if it's a Moog, but it probably, I guess it probably is a Moog because it's 1969, but they're clearly just sort of making sounds on it. So it has that Martin Denny style cocktail music, you know, exotica, but with electronic stuff on top because they clearly were trying to figure out how to make those things come together. So it's interesting now to want to make that kind of music, knowing how to do all of that stuff and make the, but, the hard part is the the cocktail music that they did way back, you know, trying mm-hmm. to get that same that same feel. So it's interesting because I hear that, like Jacqueline, when you sing over or along with you know these beeps and bloops and clicks and whirs of a two fifty nine, I, I kind of hear how that um, that future vision of the nineteen sixties with that kind of cocktail music and what you're doing now. So you're accomplishing that. Um, probably a bit easier now than it was, oh my God, 50 years ago. Well, first yeah, of all, that, that record sounds amazing. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll send you a picture of it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely want to check that out. Definitely right up our alley. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, yeah. I've got a, a decent collection of that stuff. Um, my friend, when I lived in Dallas, my friend Joby is a tattoo artist, and he's the type that just everybody's his friend. I mean, when you instantly meet him, you're his friend and everybody. So he has these huge connections and he had this 
milk crate full of weird records, country music and Christian music, just really, really weird covers and things because he was also a DJ and he would sample those and play them in his live sets. And he gave me a, a bunch of those and kind of ignited my interest in this really strange music. And then I got into like Pink Martini and all that. But that influences my music also, but in a completely different way um, because I'm not trying to make pop, but I take an inspiration from mixing together all of these different things and then um, layering these samples that you can't recognize anymore, which leads to the 272E and, and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, the, the polyphonic radio tuner. Yeah, you got to get one because you're, you're in New York City, right? Uh, no. Not anymore. No, you're not. You're not in New York City. Well, they have a lot of great radio stations there. So if you're in, LA, if you're in a big city, then you can pick up some really crazy stuff. So I do have uh, a field kit uh, by Combo yeah. Electronics. It's got the CV-controlled radio and... Um, you live in uh, Indiana. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, northern Indiana. And um, let's just say that my field kit doesn't sing like it did when I was in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, love, I love the concept of the 272E. If you get a long enough antenna, like a 150-foot RF antenna, you can get <laughs> shortwave stuff like from China. Well, at least and I then can you, here on the West Coast. And then you get up on the roof. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what I'm missing, honestly. Is I'm always trying to, like, extend the antenna on that thing. I know. We've picked up a couple things that I was like, wow, I'm surprised. That's really strange. What even is that? But Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like some some 60s. Yeah, it was like yeah. jazz, but some stuff I'd never heard before. It was really Pre-fusion weird. Prefusion jazz. Yeah, I was like, how are you getting this? <laughs> yeah. And the religious stations play some some really interesting yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> Which can be kind of trippy, honestly. Yeah. Like, I like to mix that in. Yeah, we, sure. we like picking those up. Yeah, that praise music from the 70s that kind of moved from gospel into, you know, modern pop and disco type things but it's really strange it came on the radio i have this really neat old um old style radio that i keep in my garage and listen to the local college station and if you just go down one little tick it picks up this weird christian station instead and so i set it down and i think it bumped the dial and i thought hmm this is and usually so the, the college station plays really edgy stuff I thought, wow, this is really cool and edgy, but it was some really strange praise music from, I don't know, recorded in a church in Southeast Texas or something. It was really wild. Wish I'd recorded it. Yeah. If I don't, if I'm not careful with the tuning knob, I, the, <laughs> the, top, the top 40 station comes through real strong and it's just mm-hmm. not my jam that's that's like horror soundtrack so i really have to watch <laughs> a couple interesting stations but like the the one that comes through like it almost comes through so strong that if i like take my finger away from the tuning knob it starts to come back <laughs> like, it's, really it's the siren song pulling you back yeah <laughs> so yeah. can we talk about the field kit for a second because you're i know you have an smp the clouds in Bukla. Yeah. Have yeah. you done it's much? Talk about that now, but yeah. <laughs> Have you done much with 
of getting sounds from the field kit into the SMP. You know, like we we briefly talked about, um, you know, scanning through radio stations and then putting it into the SMP's buffer and then CVing the buffer so that you can pick up just a tiny bit of something that is in a pattern. Um, That can be easily overdone. But I'm curious about how you how you do that, you know, how you kind of combine the two um, and then make music out of it beyond the experiment. There's a video that I posted, I think on Instagram a long time, like, like when I first got the SMP um, where it happens to be Phil Collins in the air tonight. That's a classic. Is that the name of the song? Is it that one? I know it's a Phil Collins song. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure I got the title right. With the big drum Phil, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Classic. That's the actual name of it. Okay. But, um, and I just was like sifting using the, um, the position, you know, to like scan just like certain parts of it. I was kind of just like slowly, you get that like, uh, time shifting sound yeah. effect, um, you know, where you can kind of just like rock back and forth, you know, like through a certain part of the vocal and it sounds all glitched out. Um, so, you know, that's definitely one of the ways that we like to incorporate it is to, you know, pick out certain elements from the radio and then sort of, you know, use control voltage to, you know, automate the position and yeah. get, you know, like, it's, it's like, um, we, we, um, have the, the cosmic tape music club, Facebook group. Um, and we'll, you know, sometimes like focus on, uh, different early electronic music artists and um, I used that a lot when we did Pierre Schaefer. Mm-hmm. So we do these like themed jams, you know, that are, that are based off some of the artists that we cover. And um, that was definitely a technique that we used to kind of like, you know, cause he's sort of known as the godfather of sampling. And, you know, so we, we, you know, we, we were using Buchla to, to jam and we needed something to, you know, kind of give a nod, you know, to his sampling uh, capabilities or, or sampling uh, style. Mm-hmm. And we used the SMP for that. Cool. It's cool that it, yeah. um, that it has pitch as well. Yeah. I wish there was a reverse <laughs> aspect. I feel like that would cover the whole a gamut of things you'd want to do with pre-recorded audio, but um, you can kind of get into that. You can get like reverse sounds by manipulating the position knob. Right. That's what I do. And mm-hmm. I like to take a, a bit from a 272E, like maybe an NPR station and just have a, almost a syllable and then turn that into percussion and kind of right. move, you know, scan through that small buffer of a high quality, um, high quality recording. It's interesting. And the funny thing is, you know, we talked about this too. You can never do it again because oh, you're no. not going to get that exact moment of radio ever again. And when you turn it off, right. it's, it's gone forever. Yeah. And I would say that's like the proper use of granular synthesis techniques, you know, like just taking like a sliver and, you know, creating a whole universe out of it. <laughs> like that's definitely the way that it, it was intended, I think, to be used. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it's also fleeting because, like Robert said, like you're never going to get back there anymore or anytime. So, press record. 
<laughs> and right. document. And for those of us who don't have a lot of preset storage um, involved with our modules, like we, we kind of we're kind of rolling that way most mm -hmm. of the time anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's like Very I true. usually the first thing I do uh, when I approach uh, the the Bukla is unpatch everything. Like I pretty much start fresh every time. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's just, you know, I'd, like I get overwhelmed by seeing everything patched up, um, you know. And so the first thing I want to do is just rip everything apart so that I can think straight about it, you know. So that's just something that I do, I, you know, talk to people about that and they think I'm nuts for doing it. But <laughs> <laughs> but it seems to work for me. Like I just, I like to start with a fresh, a clean slate. Yeah. Which every time I approach it. And well, it sounds like that's how kind of your music has shifted too by starting off with clean slates and and improvising, right? Yeah, actually, yeah. that's that's a really good segue. That is brilliant. Yeah, so <laughs> boom, <transition> boom. <laughs> from um, you know crafting this music, we were talking about this sort of folkloric, uh, psychedelic pop stuff uh from another age um it really evolved when we were playing live because mm -hmm. we were playing this very rigid set that we had put together that um you know had to be <laughs> exactly you know in time in a certain way in a certain order <laughs> well it was backing tracks yeah to play the everything is light and sound yeah. album live. just as a duo yeah yeah, so it was very rigid and, um, you know, mostly when we were rehearsing it, it was about getting the timing right of like when I'm hitting my loop pedal and bringing other things in and out, um, which, you know, it was fun and we enjoyed getting to play those songs live, um, but it's, it's such a different muscle and mm -hmm. after a while we started trying to fit in like moments where we could improvise in between songs to take a break. It wasn't anything too elaborate. Yeah. I think you were just, you just had a bass and I don't know what you brought with you to play. You always had a slightly different synthesizer setup. Trying to I was get going just the through, right one. Yeah. To try to find the right one that worked for, cause I didn't want to, I had the ESOL at the time, but I didn't want to bring it to every little bar in DC <laughs> and LA that I went to, you know, like for very, for mm -hmm. obvious reasons. Um, I wanted something that I could just kind of recreate, get in the ballpark um, of some of the sounds that I created, but you know, not necessarily. Maybe even with preset storage. So I ended up landing on the uh, Korg Mini Log. Yeah, um, I do not have that anymore because we don't play in this, you know, way that requires you know what it had. But nor do I. Yeah, that I found you know was able to get into some had a really cool delay on it. It definitely got the job done. And we were able to uh, find these like brief moments where we were creating some soundscapes mm -hmm. um, kind of outside of what the songs were that we were performing. And in those moments, we were like, okay, we just want to do this. <laughs> so we uh, kind of had to like step away from touring so that we could practice improvising. And we put together, the first thing we did was we we had sort of a, a rough song idea and instead of producing it we 
practiced sort of improvising within sort of the elements that we had created for it. So I had some lyrics and we had some like parts to the song, but we would just, you know, spend hours just like improvising. And we created a performance out of it with um, a giant, I guess, a light box where we like were inside of this like white screens on all sides of us, like huge cube. Mm -hmm. And we performed at the Smithsonian. It was like the National Art Museum, American Art Museum. Yeah, we got this gig opportunity and yeah. that kind of forced and us And we had to... been working on this and we we're like, that's exactly the environment we want to do this in. Come up with an installation. Yeah. Where, you know, the next gig we have after we've been playing all these shows that everyone's expecting to see our set, you know, we're doing a museum thing, so it's okay. We can kind of do something different. So we worked with a lighting designer and they helped us connect the sound with the light so that it was this dynamic experience and we were behind the screens the whole time. So you saw like our shadows and colors and we did this like hour long improv set. And I think people were very confused, <laughs> but I think the, the grandeur of it kind of got people used to the idea. So we came out with a bang <laughs> with this new way of doing things. Um, and then after that we were like, okay, we just weirded everyone out. <laughs> they don't know what we're doing. So we're just going to keep, we're just going to hide in our studio. I think it was like a full year that we, we stopped playing live and we just improvised until we felt like we were able to really, the goal was, can we improvise to the place where we feel like we're creating a song or a song world? Um, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it only makes sense to us. That's probably true. <laughs> um, but then, you know, turning on the tape recorder and letting that moment live on because up to that point, you have to like, let go of everything. You mm -hmm. know, you improvise, you don't have presets, you're not recording. And we did that every day for a year. And we have some evidence of it on video that we started filming because we wanted to see what was even happening. Cause when you're doing it, you're not, you're in a different kind of present state <laughs> Yeah. when you're trying to lose yourself and not think about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that subconscious layer that takes over. Um, Cause otherwise you're analyzing what you're doing while you're doing it, which doesn't create a good result. <laughs> Yeah, because then not, you're out of the moment, and yeah, it's 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 not supposed to make sense <laughs> when you're doing yeah. it. So to be able to get to that space and to do it together, where there's like this deeper layer of listening that has to happen, where I'm having to listen to what he's doing and what I'm doing, and not judging it all at the same time. Um which is a very strange state to be in. <laughs> I think I got addicted to that state. Yeah, we did after during, a while. During the time that we were really doing it heavy. Like, yeah, it's like. <laughs> yeah, we tried to write songs during this period of time like we had before and it just, we never got anything going. 
It was like the movie Flatliners. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like going under. Going oh, under. <laughs> you know, like was it, this like was this around like 2017, 2018? Like mm-hmm. after yeah. that, I feel mm-hmm. like that's when you guys kind of got on my radar. I feel like you were posting a lot of stuff to Instagram, you know, so I get these minute jams, and of course, I was like trying to suck up all the book like could and it's just like whoa these guys are cool they got all these lights going on and yeah that yeah, was the golden era totally that was it that was like our challenge to ourselves after we were like okay we've been improvising in our studio no one knows what we're doing no one knows where we are we've fallen off the map <laughs> um what if we yeah like start filming and then posting every day I did it every day. I started to go a little crazy, (laughs) but it was like this challenge because otherwise if I didn't do that, I think we would have just never come out of our hole. Mm -hmm. And then we realized like, Oh, there's actually people digging this. (laughs) Like, and there was a bit of a crossover with the audience we already had, Mm -hmm. but it was like a whole new community of people embracing this. And we were like really kind of nervous. Like, what are people going to think of this? How do we even explain what we're doing? But we didn't have to, to the people who are already looking for that kind of stuff. And then now we can't look back. (laughs) Right. So in a way I would say that our journey with Buklo has kind of shaped the music that we make, you know, like in in a huge way. Yeah. Because it, it was like we said we were trying to in, inject it excuse me inject it into the pop music we were making the weird pop music um but it it wanted something different for us <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. it wanted us to do something else and we yeah we were trying to let the sound take us where it wants us to go and it feels um yeah, more, I don't know. There's, there's a side to us that likes doing all of, all of those different muscles, working all of them, but yeah, trying to find that, that blend where we're creating songs, but in a different approach mm-hmm. with different instrumentation. I mean, it just changes the game. So how did, so you guys expanded your, so then you were both had your own kind of little bukla set up, right? during during that area evolution yeah i think because i had been playing a casio that Mm -hmm. had like built-in rhythms i loved that thing Mm -hmm. um and then the mellotron came out i had a similar experience with the new mellotron that he had with the easel yeah where i was like okay i'm in love i have to have this i think i saw it at nam um got one of the first ones same kind of deal yeah. Um, and it, it really, I don't know. There's just something I love so much about it. And it, I guess because it does, it sounds like tape, which mm-hmm. is, you know, yeah, it's an instant vibe out of that. Yeah. Thing. And then it, you know, is of an era. And so, you know, you just transported there so easily. And yeah. yeah. And it's really actually quite fun to, play with 
mixing the, the sounds because the one that mm -hmm. I have, you can play two sounds together and pitch bend. Um, and then obviously I'll use some space echo pedals and some loopers and, you know, using that sort of as like a sample source mm -hmm. that I can also, you know, play actual pitches. Mm -hmm. um, is sort of, I didn't even realize until, you know, the challenge of improvising every day is you always, you, you come to this place where you start to think like, is there really anything new I can do with the same setup that I have? And I got kind of, you know, obsessed with playing the Mellotron in a new way all the time. And it has not ceased to inspire me. And I, uh, there are times when I'm like, I want to flip this for some other book look here, but like, <laughs> I can't, I just can't let go of it. I can't. Yeah. So, so that's, um, that came into my life. And then we, I think we had gotten to a place where we were like, we need to start playing live again. We want to, we love to perform and you know, that electric feeling you get from being in front of people in a space, you know, the space creates a different sound and all of those things that you can't kind of replicate mm -hmm. in the studio or even doing like a live stream. Um, and so, you know, obviously Gus has the easel, so that's, you know, if that's all he's bringing, that's pretty easy to, to bring out. And for me, it was like, okay, well, I'm not going to bring, you know, I had a cork Delta at the time, which didn't even fit into a case, mm -hmm. uh, and the Mellotron and all my pedals. And I was just like, I don't want to be like doing like a tangerine dream setup. <laughs> like <laughs> where you got it on both sides of you. Yeah. Right. You have to have like a few other people to just to help you bring it. Yeah. On that's the thing too, is like when you're bringing all this kind of stuff, you need help and it's not easy to come by. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the thing they don't show you about all those seventies bands is it's like 25 <laughs> people actually setting everything up. Um, so we had the idea of, we're like, all right, well, what, let me get like a small bukla rig and we'll just do, you know, voice and bukla. Mm -hmm. And we were still looping at that point. Like you had the mono. Yeah. So... Gosh, and this in, in our timeline, um, we had just finished recording the album we are about to put out now. And so we had come out of that season and we wanted to play live again. So we, this is just as Eric is taking over, right? What? For Bukla. Oh, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. You're getting to talking about your Bukla rig. Yeah, I thought, yeah, okay. that's where I'm at. <laughs> gotcha. I, it was a slow unfolding tale. So, yeah. It, it, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm waiting. <laughs> so, I think what happened was, um, you know, I was actually in contact with, with Eric, basically ordering it through him through Foxtone. Oh, that's right. It was like, he was, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I actually ended up, it's funny because like I pre-ordered the ESOL from Bukla, but I actually ended up getting it from Eric because I heard that he got a few of them and that if I just 
canceled my list spot with Bukla. I could get one immediately when it came out because I was like probably like far down the line of the Bukla list, mm-hmm. but I could get right in on one if I ordered it from Eric. And so I was very happy that I figured that out and that he was able to facilitate that. And so, you know, we had kind of developed a relationship um, in terms of, you know, him being my, my dealer. um so i was emailing him about you know like the snoopy had been announced and i was like you should look into this snoopy thing Mm -hmm. you know and and so i was emailing him about getting a snoopy and yeah it was during this time i don't want to steal your thunder no you're fine i've been talking forever (laughs) um yeah so so that was the the catalyst was you know i should get this modified Snoopy system so that we each have like something easy to take out with us. Um, but then, (laughs) but then life took us in kind of a, a weird direction and Gus ended up going to California for six months for a pretty cool opportunity. And I went to New York to, uh, score a film. Mm. So it ended up being serendipitous because I was able to just pack a couple things in my car and I had the Snoopy. Mm -hmm. So I had just that. I actually did bring my Mellotron though. I I can't. Sure. I have to have it with me at all But it wasn't a legit Snoopy, right? No, no, it's not a legit Snoopy. You're getting to that part (laughs) still. Okay. Of course we had to modify it so that it was exactly how we wanted it. So I had a source of uncertainty. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and 261E and then the 292, the 281. Uh, so that was, and the 218. So I had this little rig and I, yeah. So I ended up, instead of us playing live with this setup, I used it to score this film, which I don't know that it's ever going to come out, but I made a very weird Bukla score. Dang. I want to hear that. Um, I'm pretty happy with how it came out actually, because I did implement, um, a similar approach with improvising. So I would just improvise for hours and then kind of find bits that I liked and then mess with them to fit the moment. I want to listen to that again too. It's (laughs) it's got that early days magic that we talk about, you know, Mm -hmm. like she had just Just discovering it and working your way through it. And yeah. Yeah, it was a really good, like, throwing me into the deep end. So I was like, oh, yeah, I can score this film with this business <laughs> setup. Let's do this. <laughs> but, That's you know, I had do. a lot of time. And so, um, so uh, yeah, let's talk about the the album and the Kickstarter that you've just started. Yeah, it's... um. The gosh. album is called Tomorrow is Better, Was Better Yesterday. Similar and, themes to what we've been talking about. Um, and we're doing this wild and crazy thing um, where we're releasing it on reel to reel. You know, the main our prototype. Uh, this is our prototype by uh, Dead Media Tapes. Um, it looks gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, we're extremely happy with it. Um, we worked with a an artist by the name of Julian Montague for the uh, you know actual design. Um, graphic design and, and artwork. Um, 
but then we worked with a company called um, Dead Media Tapes uh, that actually do the manufacturing of the the reel to reel product. You know, so mm-hmm. um, they do uh, eight track and reel to reel. Wow, and Dead Media Tapes being the name of their <laughs> their outfit. Um, yeah, I, I found them I think through Facebook. You know, like something just came across my feed, and and I was like, you know, wow, I, I love the fact that these you know, these guys are doing, you know, eight track and, and reel to reel, you know, it's, it's so out there, you know, and, and I instantly thought like, it would be great if we put something out, you know, on, on one of those two sources, I was into either of them, to be honest, um, just cause they're, they're weird. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we went, we went for the reel to reel option just because we recorded the reel to reel. Um, so mm-hmm. we figured it was only fitting to, to release it on reel to reel. And you know, we, with the help of our, our fans and supporters, um, we plan to do that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a journey because we, like I said, we recorded it during these days when we were improvising every day and watching a lot of retro sci-fi <laughs> like and what? listening to, um, you know, we had seen uh, one of Suzanne Chiani's early concerts when she kind of was having her resurgence moment finders keepers brought her out to LA and she played a gig in this warehouse space that just happened to be down the street from where we were living and it was Alessandro Cortini opened Mm on easel it was it was right around the time that the easel got released or announced so Mm -hmm. it was like a big everybody was really excited to see the vintage easel it was it was a crazy moment because we, you know, obviously we were like, I can't believe this is happening. But most of the people that were at the show were like, "What is this? <laughs> is this person? We just were told that this was the cool place to be, you know, because that's like, <laughs> what happens there." And we were like, "We we actually know." <laughs> well, um, let me so, tell you, yeah, yeah. So that actually, um, they released that concert on a cassette, so we had that, and we were listening to that a lot, and. Um, Touch by Morton Spotnik. Yep. And, um, you know, like the Forbidden Soundtrack, Forbidden Planet Soundtrack, and all these things that, you know, this, the convergence of the, the sound of, the sound of space and retro sci-fi and what we thought aliens sounded like and what we thought you know, spaceships were going to be like (laughs) what we thought the first contact was going to be and what the sound of that was made with, you know, Bukla and and modular and tubes. (laughs) (laughs) And that was what we were kind of soaking ourselves in. And I think most people who are into this kind of stuff get that Mm -hmm. correlation. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in kind of which science fiction movies you were taking as inspiration. Yeah. Um, we obviously 2001, a space odyssey of course. is always at the top of the list as obvious as that is. It's kind of hard not to include it. It's so epic. Um, and obviously forbidden planet and the day the earth stood still. Yeah. Dark star. Dark star. Oh, I, was, yeah. I love dark it's star. So cheesy and wonderful. Yeah. Logan's run happens to be the 
the first retro sci-fi movie I ever saw. I love Logan. And it is, I saw it on Laserdisc (laughs) in a science class that the teacher didn't want to teach. And he just happened to have a Laserdisc player with this one movie. Yeah. Silent Running. Silent Running. Great. Yeah. Love Silent Running. Um, Bruce Stern. Yes. Yeah. 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 They're all... So, they're, they're so bleak yet yeah, hopeful, yeah. you know. I they're like uh, Silent Running is a really great example of sort of a, a very early warning about climate change and the death of agriculture. And you know, mm-hmm. it's a, that's a great movie. Yeah, I, I love those. You know, two thousand one, um, the one of the has a lot of great classical music in it, mm-hmm. but it uses Ligeti's atmospheres. You know, where it has a ton of instruments all playing at the same time. And I've been trying to do that in Buchla for a couple of years now. And it, it's, I think it's impossible. I don't think it, I don't think it's possible to do atmospheres with, with Buchla because of the, there's just something about the human part of playing those instruments that you can't reproduce in an electronic circuit because, you know, the, the clarinetists and the flautists and so on are listening to each other and, and coming in at the right time to make that phase shifting. So thinking about that as an inspiration for modern, you know, the music that we make now, it's it's kind of, it's I think it's really kind of um, a unique challenge to try to ape something like that, but then actually end up with something that's entirely different in your own. If, I think if you heard the, the episode where we were doing the DSD, I think, was it that there was an episode where I was talking about an inspiration from, um, Alien score, Jerry Goldsmith's uh, yeah. Alien score, and how that f- there's a flute, that really famous scary flute sound, and I thought that that was a synthesized sound with a delay, but it's actually a flute playing mm. tremolo, and with a, a decrescendo on that tremolo. I thought, man, that's so much easier than what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but I like what you're saying, though, because you use that as an inspiration and then you come up with something different that wouldn't have existed otherwise. Yeah. By trying to copy it and failing, I ended mm-hmm. up with something new, which is what inspiration is, I guess. Yeah, we talk about that a lot, actually, that we're not very good at copying. We're not very good. We did make a cover song recently. That was our very first cover song this year, but we're not very good at that. <laughs> we try, but it's just not It's it's not how we get into things. We always end up using it as a springboard to create something new, but you wouldn't have gotten there otherwise. Yeah. Well, thinking of Logan's run, it's going to have that, that filter, you know, the, the envelope closing the filters. Totally. (laughs) It's going to be stuck. There's another one that we were inspired by. Um, The, the cantina music in star Wars. I really like Um, that like, weird jazz almost you know it's like it sounds like it's from the the 20s you know kind of like yeah uh, speakeasy jazz but it sounds like it's pitched down and like got like weird effects on it and stuff like the in the scales are all weird and like not traditional yeah (laughs) yeah and the time is you know like 9 13 or something (laughs) (laughs) Like you can definitely tell that John Williams, you know, 
put a lot of effort into, you know, making it what it is as a piece of music and not just, you know, an afterthought. Yeah. And it, it makes it seem easy because it does it over it and over easy. and over again. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's what that, I oftentimes think of. Um, yeah. That's definitely like inspiration. the reference for how we feel like the experience of listening to our music is this like stepping into the cantina and Star cool. Wars. I'll think about that next time I listen. Mm-hmm. So that's on Kickstarter right now. So, um, and yeah, when this episode comes out, it'll still be on there. So um, definitely we encourage everyone to, to go and, and support. Um, Keep it real alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really a, want, a buddy of really mine. Want one. Yeah. I'm hoping mine's still, mine is not recording at the moment, but still plays back. So. Yeah, well, I, I want one, but I'm not skilled enough to take care of it, so I have to pay top dollar for one that's in really good. Con- and I, I just think I really love your music, but I don't know if I can justify buying a, a reel to reel for you know two or three <laughs> reels to list as much as I want to. But that's why there's a cassette option too, right? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. But yeah. <laughs> there's a cassette option. Yeah, there's um, you know, those like the vinyl cases. Yes. There's something so satisfying. I love opening this. Yeah, me too. So we're doing um, the cassettes just for this Kickstarter, Um, you know, just to uh, make really, we wanted to make things that were really special Mm -hmm. that felt like something you would want to collect and experience like a piece of art. Yeah, I was going to say they're very artifact looking like, you know, the burnt orange of those of like um, the actual cassette and there's just, Chef kits, perfect, and yeah, I I do buy the cassette every every chance I get. You know, if I'm buying something on Bandcamp and the cassette's available, I always buy the cassette because I have a really nice cassette deck in my home audio system. Nice. It's just something about that. Well, for one thing, I can't skip the song really. I mean, you can, but you're just sort of sort of like with vinyl. Vinyl, you're committed to hearing the whole thing. And I like that about it. It's not like on your computer where you can just start, you know, doing something else and not really paying attention to it or, or skip it or something. I like that about cassette and it sounds really good too. Uh, One of the other reasons that I've come up with, because, you know, obviously we're, you know, thinking about releasing music on reel to reel and and what that's, you know, what's involved with that and like convincing people they should, you know, if they don't have a machine, they should obtain one so that they can listen to it on reel to reel. But the other fun of reel to reel, I would say, or, or another, I guess, reason why it might make sense to do it, um, is, you know, you can, you don't have to flip the record, so to speak, you know, you can fit like an hour of music on a three and three quarter speed, uh, reel of tape and, you know, it provides for a nice seamless uh, listening experience. One of the reasons why we chose that speed for the, the body of music that we are putting out is that it is an hour's worth of material and we wanted it to be like, I actually mixed it so that, you know, there's, it's a seamless uh, experience. Like there's uh, songs that kind of fade in and cross fade into one another, kind of going back to my DJ roots there. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, that, that's something that's, um, you know, I would say is an incentive for people to own a reel to reel as a playback device in their home is just that, you know, you have this idea of like, you know, Spotify playlists and things, and you could create tapes, 
you know, for these playlists and like kind of provide like your own seamless listening experience. Um, you know, just, just another, another thing to think about. Yeah. Uh, they look you know, cool too. If you're on the fence of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, you know, if you are, you know, have some mid-century modern furniture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you watch a movie from the eighties and it's a rich guy's apartment, there's always a, like a silver colored reel to reel sitting on top of, you know, like a, a polished aluminum, <laughs> preamplifier yeah. yeah once you start seeing them in old movies and stuff you'll see them con- everywhere i even saw like an old episode of fresh prince of bel-air yeah they were playing a real to real yeah it, it's interesting you say that though because it is it was it is something that is depicted usually in a wealthy person's home you know so mm. it was definitely like you know, the high end. It was part of the high end hi-fi lifestyle. Hi-fi, highbrow. I mean, it does sound, they sound great. Yeah. It's about as close as master tapes as you could get at the time. Mm-hmm. I think Patrick yeah. Bateman has one in American Psycho. <laughs> Just sort of he'd, my... moved on to, he'd moved on to CDs, though. You know? he, he did, yeah, toward the end of the movie, right? But He's not getting Huey of... Lewis in the news on... on <laughs> that's real, my real barometer anymore. for for quality hi-fis, whether Patrick Bateman would have it in his, in his apartment. <laughs> <That's> a... <laughs> but, you know, the, if we do take, it's kind of talking about movies. We do take a lot of inspiration from them in our daily lives too, because my Nakamichi cassette deck is the one in nine and a half weeks where it spits the tape out and turns it around and, and then puts mm-hmm. it back in. Cause I saw that when I was a kid, which I shouldn't have seen it, but I saw that tape deck and I thought, <laughs> I, I want that. And so, you know, 30 years later I got one. Oh, cool. Yeah, those are the best. Yeah, yeah I really like it. That's interesting that you, you, you know, that you got it all on one length. Because I was looking at the track list. I was like, whoa, that's a, you know, you rarely see, is it 17 yeah. tracks mm-hmm. on one? And so. There's yeah, a few shorties, cool. but, but yeah, 17. <laughs> There's a few, few shorties and a few very long. There's a few very long. <laughs> yeah. So they all fit on one side. Yeah. Just, tape, just, just at an hour, right? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So then we we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but let's finish off and kind of talk about the Cosmic Tape Music Club. Yeah, yeah, that's a it's a private Facebook group. Um, it seems to be the best way to have those kinds of conversations that we've found. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone, everyone is welcome to join. That yeah, answers the questions. It's only private. <laughs> it's private. So, yeah, you have to answer some questions to get into the group, but it's it's not anything. But they're pretty yeah. basic. It's like, are you not a robot? <laughs> yeah. Will you be nice to everyone? So yeah, I've actually been really impressed with how positive of an experience it is, and how everyone is so kind and welcoming to everyone. Robots, I wasn't sure. robots only though. <laughs> yeah, everyone talks about how toxic the internet is, but this space seems to be like a little corner that we've found and curated that everyone's being really kind and sharing things with each other. So the idea is that, um, you know, we, we describe our music as cosmic tape music um, inspired by the way electronic music was made during the space age when everyone was obsessed with, are we going to go to the moon? 
and making the sound, making the music that they thought we would listen to when we were living in our moon pods. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's inspired by the era of electronic music pre. Uh, right. And this was also the time when electronic musical instruments. Right. So despite the fact that we love our buklas, the inspiration for the type of music that we make is more pre-electronic uh, musical instrument era. You know, so, when, when test equipment ruled mm-hmm. the scene and tape. Yeah. So using magnetic tape to make electronic music as it was called at the time. And um, yeah, sort of like defining what that is and who those pioneers were and uh, we're kind of on a break right now cause we're releasing this album, but each week we will pick a pioneer, say Pierre Schaefer or Daphne Oram. Um, and we'll have a conversation over live stream with the group about, you know, everything we can dig up about these people and their music and, what their life was and why they got into it. And, you know, all of, almost all of them are, you know, born in the right place at the right time to have access to this kind of stuff. It's kind of like drunk history, but for electronic. Fueled on tea instead. Yeah. Yeah. But instead, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we talk about them and share, you know, pretty much any thing we can find videos, articles, um, you know, it's been really interesting because some people will chime in and say like, you know, they have personal experiences with these people or mm-hmm. saw them in concerts or whatever it may be or how they first came across them. And so throughout the week, we'll just pick that person to share, you know, whatever we can, um, to flood the feed with that person's stuff. Yeah. yeah. And for us, we found that it helps us to kind of make these deeper connections about the music we're making now with what they were doing then and kind of carry on the legacy. And for a while there, we were doing a live uh, improvised set each week based on the person that we were studying. Um, It's been a lot to take on. Yeah. (laughs) We found that it was all we were doing. So we were kind (laughs) of like, are we historians? Are we artists? Like, what do we want to be? So we're trying to find a, a better balance between all those things. Cause we love doing all of them. Right. We mm-hmm. love the community. We love the research. We love, you know, getting that inspiration. I think it makes us better musicians. Um, We've toyed so around with the idea of uh, doing a podcast. It's sort of that format. Yeah. Yeah. It would feel like it would vibe in that format. But we might switch to maybe like once a month doing all of that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people find that, they want more time on the person than just a week. So I think that's probably what we'll do when we get back to it. Yeah. I'm yeah. That, that is a good idea. I mean, for, for a lot of people that you're covering, like, you know, it's like you're covering their lifespan and some are very prolific. So, um, so yeah, a month might be <laughs> easier to kind of mm-hmm. take on. And, and yeah, it is tough, you know, when you like building this community or building something where you're, kind of producing content um and i mean it's an art form in itself but then it also you know takes away from just music being music and creating you know music for other stuff so so yeah it's a balance i mean not say like i when 
you guys kind of first started or really in the thick of it. Like, I mean, I was eating everything up. Um, <laughs> you guys were, were putting it out. And so, so yeah, I have missed you over the last uh, few months, but, um, but, but yeah, I, I love what you guys are doing and um, you know, I'm excited for the album and then I'm excited to uh, yeah. See if it becomes a podcast or um, yeah, I think the Facebook thing is kind of, somehow key too. like it's fun to interact with you guys when i catch you live you know when you're going through this stuff i think that's so so cool because like with this you know nobody can heckle robert and i while we're doing this you know for better or worse yeah probably um, for better <laughs> um but like you said like you've created such a good community around there like um you know it's fun when that chat kind of gets lively too yeah yeah, we try to be really humble about our knowledge level, you know, like we try to say as much as possible, like, you know, we're just, you know, we just found out about this person yesterday, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we think that they're really cool and, you know, want to, you know, if anybody else has any personal experiences with, you know, learning about these people in school and whatnot, like we would love to explore together, you know, this, this topic, you know, so. Yeah, that community try to keep is crucial because yeah. we what the, we all know more together if we all share. Yeah. And it's, you know, brings it to a more peer to peer level instead of like having some professor or something talk right. at us. <laughs> you know, approaching it as a master class. Yeah. You know. you know, which can be great <laughs> right. in some situations, but um, it's a lot, I don't know. I find it a lot more fun. Awesome. Like, I mean, one of the cool examples was uh, when we covered Raymond Scott, for instance. Oh, yeah. Like the, that was crazy. The Raymond Scott, what is it, organization? The archivist, the archivist for Raymond Scott. Yeah, his archivist. Jeff Winner. Jeff oh. Winner. He he, got, yeah, he found... Um, he posted our, on the group the other day. Yeah, he. I think because we post on YouTube as well, the clips from the conversations that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think he saw that. And so he found the group and he joined the group. And then he was like, anybody have questions? I'm here, you know, oh, and he knows so amazing. much. And he's also doing work with like Devo and he's some of the books I've posted about. He's like, Oh yeah, I wrote the forward for that. Right. And, Cause Mark Mothersbaugh actually purchased the harmonium or. Oh gosh. Is that what it's called? Electro harmonium. Um, yeah. Electro harmonium. Yeah. I think yeah. Is, um, he, he purchased that instrument. From, Which is not functional. Raymond Scott or his estate or something. And, you know, so Jeff Winter has interacted with him about it. And so, yeah, we got a lot of history. Yeah. So firsthand history about Raymond. That blew my mind. <laughs> That's so cool. And I guess one, one thing um, uh, you guys have done is these uh, Sunday drone sessions. Um, tell us about kind of, that how 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 that's all con, uh, constructed. Uh, it started because we wanted to be able to. What's the word for it? We wanted to be able to perform in a way that didn't give us a lot of anxiety, um, <laughs> like you know, like our our live improvs. Um, you know, there's this idea of like not messing up or getting it right or like, you know, like you, we, there's just a lot of like pressure that we put Trying on to ourselves. to make it into a song or... To, yeah, to yeah. like do the to thing, to, to, yeah. to turn it from an improv into a song, you know, to, to make that 
transformation happen, you know, and it happened live and it'd be good, you know? And so like, we wanted to, you know, basically play without, without that stress. And we wanted it to not only be, um, you know, stress-free, but also like almost stress relieving, you know? So, uh, I was yeah, like, well, what we can do is just, we can, you know, take the oscillators and, you know, kind of like detune them and get like this sort of interaction happening. Um, and then it evolved into you, uh, kind of matching the tones with your voice mm-hmm. and, you know, it just became sort of this, like, um, well, yeah, we started with like, what if we have no patches? Right. The, the rule was yeah. no patching. Like, yeah. Zero passion, just straight out. It was really interesting because of all the things we've done, this has had the strongest response. And I think maybe because it's so simple, it Mm -hmm. people immediately have a strong positive or negative reaction to it. So it's, we probably wouldn't have continued to do it every Sunday, but we had so many people expressing how much they enjoyed it and how much it was helping them. And they, you know, were encouraging us to continue. So we're like, Oh, okay. Wow. This like actually blew up. (laughs) We weren't (laughs) expecting that. And then, you know, whenever you get people telling you that like, you should be ashamed of yourself for doing this, then you're probably doing the right thing. (laughs) So we got a lot of that as well. Um, yeah. And I think just because we did it every week for so, for so many months after a while, you know, of course (laughs) the patching started to come back into it. Mm -hmm. Um, and as well as we were getting feedback from people as well, of like, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Would you try to like filter that as much as you can? Because yeah. otherwise you'll turn into a Frankenstein of something you don't even recognize yourself yeah. anymore. <laughs> and there's the, there is the argument of like, you know, that particular style, that particular genre, it's not a new thing. You no, know? we're and, not doing And it's not even, yet. you know, like our brand, so to speak, you know? So like, you know, we weren't trying to, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, be something that we weren't, you know, like, yeah, it was just like another layer of exploring our instruments. And we also, I think just something we needed for mm-hmm. ourselves to sort of like clear our minds. It was very personal. Um, and then yeah. we were actually one of the weeks we were studying Pauline Oliveros and I decided we should do her tuning meditation, um, mm. which she has instructions for how to do which usually you do with a group in like a space and um, how the sound interacts with the space. She used to have a school. Yeah, it still does. Yeah. Um, And so we did that live, which was my voice with what, I don't even know what your setup was, but I think you had some patching going on. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm just going to say yes. Just say yes. (laughs) So that was sort of where I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) I'm a vocalist. Um, and I do this anyway, you know, when it's just the two of us of using my voice, like a synthesizer Mm -hmm. and trying to match the sounds by, you know, altering the shape of, you know, the different elements that go into the voice, the tongue, the mouth, palate, all that kind of stuff. And it just felt like the most natural evolution for us. Um, and so then it became using my voice with two space echo pedals Mm -hmm. to create, um, 
what Paulina Oliveras was doing before Robert Fripp, but many call it Frippertronics, <laughs> um, to create, um, you know, the initial sound with a short delay and then a longer delay. So it sounds like looping is happening, mm -hmm. um, but it's not a little trick. Um, and that is very satisfying. I find that really satisfying <laughs> to do. Um, so the combination of using my voice to sound like a synthesizer <laughs> and then using these effects um, somehow becomes very soothing, even though that sounds like really robotic maybe or alien. And recently I could see an evolution of that being that we've, we've had the envelope follower conversation. Yes. We've recently. been having this conversation about taking the voice to the next level. Might've been inspired by one of your recent episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You and I were chatting about the 297 and the 230E Augustus. And, uh, you know, when we got in this conversation about, um, you know, CV sources for the 297. And I was thinking about with Jacqueline and, and how um, on Tangerine Dreams, Phaedra, Edgar Fossa's wife actually turned the phaser um, device for mysterious semblance uh, at the Strand of Nightmares, I think is the name of the song. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if Jacqueline could use her voice as a CV source and then actually use her fingers to turn the, the phase shifter and have two completely different inputs coming from her at the same time into the, uh, into the phase shifter. So We're definitely going to try that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had already talked about it, actually, yeah, because like when, really when, when I uh, took ownership of the 297, um, he was like, the day has come. I showed, <laughs> I, showed her, I showed her the little blue jack, you know, yeah. little blue banana. And I was like, you know what this is? <laughs> this is the key to your voice, you know, being, mm -hmm. being able to, um, you know, leave sort of a, a character on, you know, these synthesizer elements or, or actually inject itself. <laughs> into them, you know, so it's, it's definitely something we're, we're excited to explore and we'll do, you know, like, um, it's like, I, I had the, um, well, I sold the, the 208, you know, so I, Kyle and I have talked about that, but, um, so I kind of lost my envelope follower yeah, yeah. and gained it back with the 297. Well, I'm a 230 E convert. Like I yeah, and I'm actually places. really into the idea of, you know, maybe exploring that as well. It depends on, you know, like how far we get with the, the yeah. 297's envelope follower, you know, but like that's, you know, if it's something that really seems to resonate, you know, with what we're doing, you know, we might have to go the the full yeah. <laughs> 230 mode. Yeah. Well, the 230E is one of the really cool things about it is you can get pulses from it. You know, right. and so if you have like a nice plosive, a big puh sound, mm -hmm. you can get a really big pulse, you know, from that and you can set the sensitivity for that. And it's, it's pretty cool, but you know, it's, it's easy to tell somebody you should get another module. <laughs> it's a lot different than having the space and the budget and the time, you know, to, because if you buy too many modules, you can't really get good at them. So it's probably best that you're spending time really learning that 297. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. The, the 230E kind of takes the envelope follower concept um, to the next level. Yeah. You know, where 
really and, and the idea that the um the microphone input on it i think one of the things that draws me to that particular iteration of the 230 is the fact that it has phantom power yes and this mm-hmm. this microphone that jacqueline's speaking on right now has phantom power and that's the one she uses for performance so um it would actually make sense you know to have that as a front end it's really if, if, if we vibe with it you know yeah it, it, the possible with having a singer and, and a good one is <laughs> the possibilities are really fascinating because you know with the 230e having three microphone inputs you can set up your primary mic and then two sort of ambient microphones that you're not singing into, but are going to pick up your voice and then control the amount of input level on them. Not not um, input amplification, but sensitivity of the CV that comes from that. And so you're getting all this amazing CV sources that just from singing, you know, and, and then you have your, your vocals themselves. And after talking to Mort and others over the past several months about these um, environmental control voltage sources. I'm, I'm a big convert on that. And now I use it all the time. It's, I remember people, when Kyle and I would joke about it, people say, I use a 230E in every patch. But how? Is oh, it yeah. We're like, prove it. <laughs> yeah, show me. I've been in on the joke from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually how Kyle and I kind of started interacting initially. It was like, <laughs> being in on that joke. <laughs> People, yeah. Every time I saw a two third, a two thirty, anything, two thirty e, two thirty, like R, whatever, like I would, I would send them a picture of it or something. And be like, there you go, man. Yeah. Uh, so you know, you, you know, you've reached nerdy heights when these are like the jokes that we get into, and then I know it's like, oh, this is my guy. These are my people. Joke. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So that, yeah, like the idea of that, that module kind of expanding, you know, the the idea of the vocal interacting with the synth, that's really cool. The other thing I was thinking of is um, using contact mics for the other two and you could use them on your body. Yeah. 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 Like body interaction, like you move certain limbs, certain ways. Things are about to get very weird. (laughs) (laughs) So. Our neighbors must think we are. There's <laughs> weird stuff going on over here. The dogs next door are always very upset when we do our drones. Oh, yeah, yeah. We definitely get a little bit of disdain. Yeah, they can the they can hear the frequencies even we can't hear. From the neighborhood animals, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess just to wrap up, Please tell us um, where we should go for the Kickstarter and Cosmic Tape Music Club and everything. Oh, else. sweet. Yeah. A lot of it's on Facebook. So just the Galaxy Electric on Facebook. You're going to find most of it. Uh, thegalaxyelectric.com is our website, you know, and that's going to have links to the Kickstarter and all of our music and stuff like that. And that's, yeah, that's mostly what we have going on right now. And the Kickstarter, uh, when's the end date? The end date is September 8th. Okay. Yeah. So should have like at least a week or mm-hmm. week and a half or so after this airs. So go now. <laughs> yeah. Press pause and go right now. <laughs> Even while you're driving, pull over, get out your phone and go. And even if getting a reel to reels on your to-do list, just go ahead and take this step. 
Yeah, we've been getting a lot of messages from people saying like, this is the catalyst. You know, I've been wanting to get this. This can be the excuse. So this is the excuse. Or like, you know, we're yeah. actually working on a reel-to-reel buyer's guide right now. Oh, cool. Oh, awesome. Because those are the questions we're getting. It's like, oh, well, I've been wanting this anyway. So, but it's like so overwhelming. You know, how do you, how do you know what to get? I've been down quite a road of obtaining machines and making mistakes. And so I'm trying to at least, you know, make a guide that is filled with ways to avoid some of the, the pitfalls of getting machines that, you know, end up not working well for, <laughs> for the thousands of reasons. Well, cool. Well, thank you guys so much oh, for, uh, for coming on the show. It was a blast. Thanks for having us. It's so yeah. fun to chat. It's a lot of fun. Thanks. We'd like to thank the Galaxy Electric for being on the show today. Check out thegalaxyelectric.com for links to their Kickstarter, the Cosmic Take Music Club, and the rest of their music. Check out Tim Held's podcast, Podular Modcast, as well as Ben Wilson and Ed Ball's Esoteric Modulation Podcast. Visit waveformmagazine.com for more details on how you can subscribe to the Quarterly Synthesizer Magazine. If you want to help support the show or put more diamonds in my chalice, you can do so through Patreon at patreon.com slash sourceofuncertainty, and you can get your Source of Uncertainty t-shirts at sourceofuncertainty.threadless.com. You can find out more about the show or contact us through our website, sourceofuncertainty.audio. We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Source of Uncertainty, and also search for us on YouTube. Till next time. Bye. Bye.